Good to have Steve Baker back in our service with us here today. You need to be in prayer for him. He had a uh, he had an eye procedure, eye surgery done. That was several weeks ago. Steve, is that right? That was several weeks ago. And so we're praying for his recovery. His vision is worse than what it was before the surgery right now. So please be in prayer for his recovery. The Lord will work in that. But it is good to have him in the service today. Back in the service, I should say. It's also good to have, we have a, I know a couple is visiting us here from Oklahoma. They just got married. They're on their honeymoon. And so we're glad that they're here with us. And we hope our church is a help and a blessing to you all as well. Acts chapter 18. I'm going to start reading in verse number we finished up with 11 last week, but I will read it as a, as a bump into what's taking place in our text today. But verse 11 says this. This is Paul in Corinth. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And when Gallio was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Galileo said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O ye Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it. For I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. And Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of his brethren and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had, for he, uh, had a vow. And he came to Ephesus... And left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep the feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. And after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and and Phydria, uh, and in, in uh, order, strengthening all the disciples. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word. I ask your blessing upon the service today. Lord, I pray that uh, you would guide my thoughts with what I say and how I say it. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to be a help to us, to draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here that has never truly been converted. I pray for that conviction and that drawing. That, Lord, even today in this service, they repent and place their faith in Christ. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Again, a couple of weeks ago, uh, as we got into chapter 18, we saw Paul arriving in Corinth. And we looked at all the different ways that God had been encouraging him. How it was a low point in his life. He had just made the 50-mile journey from Athens down to Corinth. He is discouraged. He is alone. Um, you think of, again, think of all that took place since this second missionary journey began. 
coming through Galatia, trying to determine the direction God would have him to go, to go and it just seemed the Lord was closing all the doors. He finally ends up on that very west coast there, and the Lord provides a vision to come over into Macedonia to bring the gospel into Europe. He realizes, okay, this is the direction the Lord has for this missionary journey. And sure enough, Paul gets on the boat. He picks up Luke there with him in Troas, and they head on over into Europe. He establishes the church in Philippi, but while he's in Philippi, of course, he is beaten severely, him and Silas, thrown into uh, a jail. But then we saw how God used all of it, how he would use that imprisonment to provide a measure of protection for that church at Philippi so they could thrive. And then, of course, he heads down to Thessalonica, where just about a riot ensues. He heads to Berea. Church gets established there. He gets a church going in Berea. The Jews from Thessalonica come on down, and, and they cause more problems to Berea. So he heads out, and he comes to Corinth. And we, we, we know that, of course, Timothy and Silas came and met him there in Corinth, but he sent them right back, or in, excuse me, down in Athens. He left Berea, went to Athens, while Athens, Timothy and Silas showed up, but he sent them away because of the needs. He wanted what was going on in Philippi and what was going on in Thessalonica. So he sent them immediately to those two places. But again, we saw how God encouraged him the last time we were in this text. And the Lord does that often. He encouraged him through providing new friends, um, he encouraged him when he met Aquila and Priscilla. There happened to be saved people sitting there in this vile, wicked city of Corinth who were of the same trade of Paul. People Paul would end up staying with that would be close, the, close with Paul the rest of his life. We saw God provided fruit for his ministry. We saw, you know, where Paul was frustrated and he told him, I am done with you. I will, I will not say, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm fed up. I'm not talking with you again. And he leaves. But he doesn't go very far. He goes to the house that's joined to the synagogue and, and ends up leading to the Lord, the chief ruler of the synagogue. He gets saved. So that would have been encouraging. And then the last, the last piece of encouragement that we looked at was God gave him the third vision, and that was God promising his presence. And you can imagine just, just how special that would have been for the Apostle Paul. We learned a lot. Don't quit. Stay encouraged. Now, Paul, once the encouragement came, he got to work. He stayed there for 18 months. This is Paul's longest stay in any city with the exception of Ephesus and Rome. Think of how Paul would have been thrilled and so thankful to the Lord for God allowing him to stay put for a reasonable amount of time. This will tie in later with the vow that he's going to make. During this time, the Bible tells us in our text that there were many who came to know the Lord. Many were saved. And Corinth, think about this, was a growing church. They had the Apostle Paul there for 18 months. This is a reminder to us that we need to be safe, that we need to stay faithful. And we are targets because of the fact of, of the Word of God that is being taught, of, of, of what we represent here in this city, because we're getting grounded. The devil knew, with Paul getting this church so established, the church at Corinth was going to be a major target. And we realize how successful the devil was there by the time we get to the writings of First and Second Corinthians and things that went very south in this church. We have to stay faithful. This was a church, the Bible tells us we know, was not made up of the mighty and noble, 
but of sinners whose lives were transformed by the gospel and by the grace of God. Paul saw many victories in spite of Satan's opposition in Corinth. Today, we're going to see, really, I'm only going to get to the first one today, but there's three things in our text that we, that we see that took place with Paul and his relationship with God. Please, I want you to listen to this. As you know, the greatest thing you can do in this earth, the greatest thing by far, nothing even comes close to it, is serving God and loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There's nothing that compares to that on this world. Nothing. Number one, that's because what life is all about. When, when all of a sudden you put things before that in life and, you, and it actually grabs you and you begin to live for that, the day will come when you will see it as vanity. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen. You will realize, man, I've, I've given my life for vanity. Life is all about God. And by the way, if that's the only reason we serve him, obviously, that's more than enough. Just to serve God because his God is incredible. I mean, he's the creator. I mean, just that alone is enough. That's enough to help us to keep our eyes on God, stop complaining, stop whining about everything, and begin to have the joy of the Lord because of the privilege it is to serve the creator. However, the truth is there's so much more to our salvation than just that. There's so much more to this relationship that we have with God that God provides us. There's amazing benefits to serving God. I never believe they should be the motivation for why we serve God. We should serve God because he's God. Remember, that was, that was Satan's accusation to God about Job. He simply serves you because of what you provide. That should never, we should serve God because he's God. Because he is what life is all about. But nonetheless, like with Job, when we do serve God, there is great benefits to it. God provides much more in our relationship. It's one of the many reasons serving God is so amazing, so thrilling, so exciting. The Bible teaches us, if you know in the book of Philippians, that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Well, in our text, what we're going to see here is in the life of Paul, we see three things that come with our relationship with God in the narrative of what happens in Corinth. I put it down as three Ps. Again, today we're only going to get through the first one. But three things that, that we're going to deal with between once you're saved and serving, between with our relationship between us and the Creator, we'll see protection, passion, and path. Again, today I'm only going to cover the protection aspect of this. But we will see as a result of Paul's relationship with God, how he had God's protection against his enemies, how he had a passion for the Lord, and we will see the path of his life was simply this, God's will. If God will it, that's what I want to do. That's where his heart was. But again, this morning, I'm only going to get through my first point of this message, and that is seeing God's protection. Let's look again at, at verse number 12. The first couple of verses here. And when Gallio was the deputy of 
of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, Gallio said unto the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason would that I should bear with you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye to it, for I will be no judge of such matters. And he drave them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of these things. Here's an example of God's, one example of God's protection was Paul was in Corinth. But this one, even though it might, it might not on the surface appear to be huge, this one's enormous. Remember, when God gave Paul that third vision about 18 months prior to what's taking place in the verses we read, he promised Paul his protection. It's incredible as we look at that, who God uses and how God defends Paul before his enemies. The text says that the Jews made insurrection. In other words, what they did was they pitched another fit like was their common thing to do. They illegally detain Paul and they bring him to this seat of government. They want him stopped. They want him tried. They have done this in the past, bringing Paul before the government to try and stop him. Now, at this time, at the time Paul shows up, there's a new deputy or proconsul that has been installed, Gallio. The Jews knew this is an enormous opportunity. Matter of fact, up to date, and probably they might not, and they know they might not have another opportunity like this to stop Paul what is put before them. They know this is a great opportunity to completely stop Paul and greatly hinder the growth of Christianity in the Roman Empire. Had they just brought Paul before the city government, and let's say they got a positive indictment against Paul. That simply would have stopped Paul in Corinth and Paul just would have moved on as was common. But this is different. This is a major opportunity to bring him before this man who is working from Corinth, which is the capital of this province. Gallio, let's look at who this man was. And what this position was that he held, because it's very important. Once you see who this man was and the position he held, you understand the importance of this day. This, by the way, is a really good example, when it comes to the Bible, uh, of listening. It's texts like this that sometimes you can just look over and you actually miss the truth that is right there and what it is that God is doing. So let's look at this man. Let's think who this guy was. This man was known throughout the Roman Empire. He was the elder brother of a famous philosopher in Rome by the name of Seneca. You might have heard of him. Seneca was uh, 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 very popular as well throughout the Roman Empire as a philosopher. He lived in Spain, but again, he was known throughout the entire empire. He was more popular than his older brother. We have a lot of information in history about Seneca. Now, Gallio was his elder brother. Seneca, his younger brother, was the tutor of even Nero, who would become the Roman emperor. He was also the uncle of one of the most famous, famous poets in all of Rome. So this man is of a very prominent and very influential family in Rome. 
The man that Paul is before is a key man in history at this time. He was pro-council. He served just a, really a short time in this position. It depends on which historical account you read. Somewhere between AD 51 and AD 53, he served. So basically, the position that he is given by the emperor is, is governor, if you will, of this province. I mean, remember, there's two major provinces right now in this part of Greece, Macedonia and Achaia. He is now governor of this province. But this man has great influence in Rome and great power. His brother wrote of him, saying how he was famous for his kindness. He said, no man is as sweet to one as Galileo is to everyone. He was known in this in reputation. And so this is the man that Paul has brought before. The Jews recognize we have a tremendous opportunity. Because if they can get him to condemn Paul and order him to stop, this would be huge. Because this would just not have power in Corinth if he makes that decision his decision will be in effect for the entire Roman Empire. If this man makes a judicial decision, it sets precedent. It applies across the board throughout the empire. If he condemns it and he orders the stop of the spread of Christianity, that now becomes basically law. It's established. And so, we can see the importance of this day as Paul is brought before him, and Paul understands this very well. He knows everything that's at stake right now. But we see God's protection from his enemies, just like he promised. So in the text, the Jews bring him before him, before the governor. They know what they're doing. Uh, um, and, and Galileo, he's having none of it. He recognizes what's taking place. Many of the writers, when you read on this, say, just by the text with what he's saying, many believe he has actually heard the Apostle Paul preach. Keep in mind, he's been there for 18 months. Paul was never shy, never a guy behind the scenes, preaching very openly in public places and throughout. So many believe that they actually heard Paul preach. And it's clear from what Gallio st states, that he viewed Christianity as a sect of Judaism and therefore legal. Rome, of course, had its law commanding the worship of Caesar. However, I can't remember, there was a Latin term for it, where they permitted certain religions to be legal. Judaism was one of those, actually. It was permitted to be legal, and he viewed it, uh, this Christianity, as a sect of Judaism. So when he hears the arguments, when Paul is brought before him, he hears the arguments that are being made against this man, and he knows this is just a game of semantics. He understands that what's being put before me is, is an issue of theology. It's not an issue of Roman law. This is a theological debate. And he tells them just that. This isn't about Roman law. This man hasn't committed any crimes. This is a problem with your law and your different view of him on theology. Again, by his speaking, we show he has some knowledge of Jewish teachings. Notice what it says. Look at this verse. Verse 14. And when Paul was now about to open his mouth, 
Gallio said unto the Jews. Paul doesn't even have to speak. He doesn't have to do anything. The Lord steps in and defends him. God will use this lost man to defend Paul. We have seen many times throughout Scripture where the Lord even uses lost men to defend His people or to help His people. You can think of different world leaders. You can think of Cyrus. There's different examples where it's incredible who God uses for His purpose. Paul is about to speak. Doesn't have to say a word. I mean, you can just see Paul standing there, amazed at what's taking place. And you knew Paul's going over the defense in his mind. I mean, you can see how he's going to cover this. He's, he's thinking through it. He never has to say one word. As we serve God, God constantly helps us with our enemies. It goes with our relationship as we serve Him. He knows how to protect you from your enemies. He knows how to intervene when it's needed. Whether it's on a grand scale like this, or even in smaller areas. It's a matter of staying faithful and trusting God and knowing that as we're faithful and we're serving God, there's many benefits that come with this, and part of it is God's protection. I, 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 I remember when I left the Air Force and I was at Continental. This is before I was in management there. I wasn't there, I don't know, just six months or so selling before I went into management. And there was an agreement that was made when I was hired because I, because I was an assistant pastor at the time, I had a lot of responsibilities with the church. Those of you who are members back then know what I'm talking about. And so part of the agreement was this, that I could not work on Wednesday nights and I could not work on Sundays. That was honored. Well, a new GM comes in. They brought him up from Seattle. And we had a mandatory meeting every Friday. And that guy could not stand the fact that I did not work on Sundays. Bugged him to death. But the agreement was made before he was ever in place. So, Friday meeting, everybody's there. It was mandatory. It's a really long table, huge conference room. I'm at, literally having to be at the opposite end of him on this day. He's at the other end uh, um, going over it. And he made it mandatory for all to work the weekend, including Sunday. When he said including Sunday, he looked right at me like that. I didn't say a word. And meeting ended. It went on a little bit. It came down. And I had two layers of management above me at that time. The first one came to me, and, and I started to speak, and I said, listen, you know I'm done now. Um, this is my last day. And he said, no, no. He goes, you're not, he goes you're, not, you're not working. And then the other manager came up, and those two, they stood right there. They said, we got this. And so they went and met with him. They came back and said, you don't have to work on Sunday. And I said, well, what did you guys do? They said, we went in and resigned. Um, they said, if he works, we quit. I didn't even have to argue the point. There are times when you have God's protection. He's there and he's working. You have to trust him. We can see this throughout scripture. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 23. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, 
I'm not going to read all these verses. This account starts in, in verse number 19. I don't have time to go through all of this. But this is when David is running from King Saul. And he gets in a, just a very precarious situation here. Saul has David surrounded. David is on a cliffside here. Let's pick it up, I think, around verse 24. And they arose and went to Ziph before Saul, but David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon and in the plain of the south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men went to seek him, and they told David, Wherefore he came down into a rock and abode in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountains, and David and his men on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines, therefore called that place Selahamana. Uh, yes, I'm speaking in tongues right now. And David went up from thence and dwelt in strongholds at Engedi. So this is a great example again of God's divine protection when you're staying faithful and you're serving God. We have that. David knows what's taking place. He realizes for almost the first time since he's been running, it's never been this dangerous for him. The army has him surrounded. They're coming around the sides of the mountain. He's there with his men. They've been completely surrounded. It really looks as if there is no way out. It looks as if this is it. I mean, David was a man of war. He was a man that knew strategy. um, And he knew none of that's going to help me right now. Many times the Lord will put us in a place where we can see no way out. In all of our own reasoning, there's simply no answer that we could see. Like all the car horns. (laughs) So just put yourself in David's place there. The army's there. You wonder what he's saying to his men. Are we going to fight you then? So we just surrender. They're trying to make decisions like this. They're surrounded. And as they're talking, though, as they're prepared for this, here comes the army. All of a sudden, just out of the blue, they turn around and go back. David knew without a doubt, God just did something. God just intervened. He learned God is my helper. God just showed up. He wrote about what took place, by, that, by the way, that day in Psalm chapter 54. There are times when the Lord puts us in situations where we learn that God is our helper. The truth is God's invisible hand, just like with Paul and we see with David, God is always working behind the scenes. I mean, let's look at David's event and even Paul's. Think of all that had to take place for David to be rescued at that moment. Think of God's sovereignty and all that was there. The Philistines would have to attack just at the right moment. At that moment, a messenger would need to be sent. The messenger sent to go find King Saul. He has to find him. He has to head into this mountain region in the wilderness, find find King Saul, and get to him in time. He happens to get to him at the perfect time and tells him the Philistines have invaded. At which time, the word would, because it's army and organization, the word would travel fairly fast at that point. Once Saul sent the command, we need to retreat from this, we got to head back. And so the word gets to those front lines just in time. 
You know, God's up in heaven. Just David, watch this. Watch how this is going to happen. He, he allows it to get to that. I mean, the Lord could have did that at any point. He could have had it before Saul's army ever got close to surrounding David. But he wanted to remind David, listen, I'm here. I have this. I'm in control. Even though it looks as if there's no way out, I got this. Here's Paul. He understands the gravity of the situation that if this man rules against him, it is now judicial precedent throughout the Roman Empire. This is just not an average local judge. And he doesn't even have to speak. God intervened. He saw God work in such an amazing way. Listen, there, there can be times when you're facing situations, whether it's enemies or different difficulties, you can be tempted to panic. Just trust in the Lord. He is in control. Even when your circumstances are confusing and you don't understand it, you simply trust God is in control. You know that He is there and that He will work. But this gets even... Even more incredible what takes place here. Go back to Acts chapter 18. So God did just as he promised. Paul is brought before Gallio, you know, by his enemies, by the Jewish leadership. Paul doesn't have to say a word. But look at what takes place next. He lets the Jewish leadership know, I'm not going to deal with this matter. And it says this, and he drave them from the judgment seat. The wording is important there. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. And Gallio cared for none of these things. Let's stop right there. It says he drove them from the judgment seat. The implication is this, that the Jewish leadership kept arguing. They wanted their decision. They didn't stop. So basically what happens here, he calls in his delictors or the policemen, if you will, to drive them out from before the judgment seat. And more than likely, it was those same men that started to beat Sosthenes, who is the chief ruler. They would beat him because he would be the one doing the speaking. He was the chief ruler. So he was the chief speaker before the governor. And then all of a sudden, he finds himself getting severely beaten. Paul is standing there witnessing all this take place. Remember, Paul's usually the guy getting beaten. But this is incredible. Look at this. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The very first verse. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And look who's here. Sosthenes, our brother. Guess who ends up getting saved? Guess who ends up converting to Christ? By the way, this was the, the first chief rule of the gospel already got saved. Now this guy gets saved. And he becomes a preacher of the gospel. He becomes a leader. He becomes influential for the cause of Christ. Did you ever wonder, well, how did that happen? How did that take place? I think 
me, we, we don't, the, the scripture gives us no indication. We don't know exactly how it happened. This is my thoughts. I think it's possible, just like with Paul, when Paul heard Stephen preach. I think when Sosthenes heard Paul preach, I think it troubled him greatly. I think he saw how God just intervened before the governor. All that had just taken place. I think it's very possible that when he was beaten, that the men who attended to him was led by the Apostle Paul. Maybe Aquila right there with him. That they started tending to him. Following the command of Christ and how we are to treat our enemies. Paul would not be the mindset, good, you deserve it. I'm tired of the one getting beat. Let it be you for a change. I don't deserve to be here and you know it. I don't think that was Paul's mindset at all. Paul would see this as an opportunity. I think it's, I think it's likely because there's arguments, and, and I didn't read it necessarily, but nobody was addressing that side of the house. But what was interesting is that there's a ton of really good men that, which, again, I disagree with for several reasons, that they believe that even the Jews took part of the beating against the chief ruler. I don't see it that way. But I do think it's very possible that Paul took part in helping him after he was beaten. Paul understood that there was a day when he was just like him. There was a day when maybe he was reminded as, as, as he was brought before uh, um, um, the governor and, and, and seeing Sosthenes, the chief ruler, get beat, how he had ordered the death of Stephen. How he had persecuted, how he sought to have in prison, how he sought to hinder Christianity. And he knew there was a time I was just like this man. Christian, you better not forget, when you look at the lost world, that that could be you. And that for multitudes of you, that was you. And look for the opportunities that God gives to actually show what Christ is all about. To effectively present the gospel because, I, I mean, think of the effect that would have had on, on the Jewish community in Corinth. To have, have not only Christmas, the chief ruler of the synagogue, but the very next guy who followed in his steps also gets converted. In this, we see that God knows how to handle our enemies. So often, and we tend to do that. I mean, that's, that's natural for all of us to do that. We tend to think that our situation is worse than any others. Because it's the world we're in at that time. It's the emotions that we're feeling in that moment. We could tend to think that, that this is just worse than any other. That you're unable to see, but that simply isn't true. I mean, as we go through life, we all have different struggles and battles that we're going to face. And there's no doubt that as you're, and as you're determined to try and serve God, listen, there, there's more battles that come with life. But you have the promise of God's protection, the promise to stay faithful, not quit, not question God during it. But to trust God. And as we serve Him, part of the benefits of serving God, now again, not just because He's God, that, that's the greatest reason and the only reason we need to serve Him. But when that does take place, we do have His protection. We do have His intervention in our life. You see, well, I don't have it right now. Wait! 
There are times where God will get the most glory when he waits to the last possible moment. Stay faithful. Don't quit. There are multitudes who make the decision to quit. To let the enemies win. Don't let them win. Stay faithful. Listen, and the key to this is stay focused on the eternal. Just stay focused on God. Don't allow the demands and the frustration of the current circumstances of this world to grab your thoughts and your attention. Stay focused on the greatness of God. I got news for you. All the corruption we're seeing right now hasn't affected heaven one bit. It hasn't. And yet all that we're seeing is exactly what the Bible said would happen. Listen, if if you're in that battle right now, stay faithful. Wait on the Lord. He is there and he's working even when you can't see it. With heads bowed and eyes closed.